Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Wow! Athleter Podcast back again. <clears throat> we are joined by Anthony Ferraro of movie and TikTok fame. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Michael. <laughs> uh, that's the part where we have to pretend that we don't know each other real well. <laughs> yeah, nice, to, nice to be here. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. Thank Big you. Fan. So, Big fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fucking great. Okay, so, but. We do know each other very well. Joel Shaw doesn't know you at all, so let's pretend like you're just talking to him. Sounds good. Let's get uh let's get the Anthony Ferraro origin story. What do you say? Let's do it. Um, well, I was the youngest. I am the youngest of five. I grew up in Spring Lake, New Jersey, a little beach town. I was born blind with a degenerative eye condition called Lieber's congenital amaurosis, which affects the retina and when i was a kid i had like some usable vision and then as i grew older big bigger chunks kept like going you know i'd wake up one day and it'd be like a lot missing and Does i that ever did, did that ever like wax and wane like did it would like chunks would go missing and then they would come back for a minute or two and then they would go away again no you knew if any went then it's gone right so that's the shitty part but I was lucky enough to grow up in a family that my parents didn't let that ever be an excuse. The first thing they were ever told was treat your kid like the rest of your kids. And they did that. Like I grew up surfing, skateboarding, riding my bikes till I started hitting parked cars. And my mom was like, no more of that shit. Um, <laughs> just like a normal life, man. But like knowing I was a little different and like I went to a school for the blind until seventh grade. So I'd, trans I'd commute from Spring Lake to Philly every day and then come home and uh when i transferred to the public school so when i was doing that i was pretty much like had this routine where i grew up the youngest of five my mom's the second oldest of 13 so i had 60 cousins that all ran around this area so that was like a good way of like hey keep up you know like no one's waiting around and it, it kept me like on my toes and wanting to keep up with everyone else and when it seventh grade came around, I transferred to the public school after I learned like how to be independent with Braille and technology. And then I was kind of in this like routine of when I was going to school in Philly, like especially my fifth and sixth grade years where I would come home. I had a one of those foot rests that I would push all the way against the TV stand and I would kneel on it and watch TV like two inches from the screen. And I would do that and eat like cheese doodles. And I was just not being very active. And my two older brothers were like, dude, you got to do something, man. Like you got to find like something because it's already bad enough. You're blind. You don't want to be blind and fat. And I don't know if that's like, okay to say, but that's <laughs> and, and they, cause they were very like athletic, you know, my brother Ollie took fit in the state of wrestling and, uh, <laughs> First of all, hold on, hold on, Ant. I gotta pause this story here for a second. Um, Joel Shaw grew up in California, so okay. he is uncomfortable laughing at you some of your jokes. 
Like, just understand, uh, like, there were a lot of blind jokes going around the club <laughs> during Anthony's formative years. And look, you like, here's, here's what it is. If you can't laugh at this stuff, you, you're probably, you probably, um, because like, not that Joel wasn't laughing because he was, but just so you know, Aunt, he was like looking at me. So it's it almost like permission to laugh. Like, is it okay to laugh? Oh, it's gonna get funnier. Just yeah, you wait. Go oh, ahead. You fuck up, boy. Oh. <laughs> uh, you better tap into any East Coast you can. <laughs> but uh, anyway, sorry. So you're going to public so, school. So they they said that to me. It's kind of like, you know, you're right. And uh, I always wanted to play football. My dad never let me. And our joke was like, Aunt, you're going to get blindsided. So <laughs> football was out of the question. <laughs> and um, then in seventh grade, I, I was like, screw it. Like, there was this guy, Brandon Scott, that wrestled for New Jersey. Really good blind wrestler. And I remember, like, hearing about him when my brother wrestled. Red Bank, for, right? Yeah, Red Bank Regional. Mm-hmm. And uh, – I was like, you know what? Why don't I give it a shot? Because I didn't. I I grew up like trying like different blind sports. Like there's a thing called goalball and all these other like blind golf and beat baseball. But I never really liked it that much. And then when I found wrestling, seventh grade, I went to Belmar Elementary like rec program, and I was this little chubby kid, man. I was like 160 pounds, no no muscle really, just kind of tub. And I, I was like, I'm going to go out and crush it. Like, I'm going to murder this. Like, I'm going to beat everyone. I'm going to do great in this sport. And I went out and went like 2-12, and 12, and one of the wins was a forfeit. So it didn't go well. And my last <laughs> match. the freaking least. It didn't go well. Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> it did not go according to plan. Um, so the last match, I remember saying to my dad, I was like, dude, I, I need to get better at this. Like, I don't want to just be a mediocre blind kid at the sport. That's like, you know, pat on the back. Good job for, like, trying. I wanted to get good. And it was all the first right, time right, in my right, life right. I hold felt. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's let's pause. And I'm going to continue to pause you because I know the yeah, story. But, me all the time. But um, here's the thing. What in your estimation – made you really want to get better at that was it because you were treated more like everyone else in wrestling or was it just something that you think was innate in you it was kind of a combination it was definitely innate like through my whole life when i get into something i almost get like especially if i'm bad at it i want to get good like it's like this like I love that climbing the mountain from the bottom of like this whole grind of trying to get better. And cause from there on, you only can, you know, you're supposed to only get better from that point on. So Mm -hmm. like, like it goes stems back to something as little as I remember when I was in like fourth grade, all my classmates could roll their R's like something really stupid. Right. And I wanted to roll my R's so bad, but I couldn't like, I would be like, and I just (laughs) couldn't do it. And I'll never forget, I would stay up late at night in, in fourth grade, just like trying to figure it out. Like I would ask everyone I could that knew how to do it. And I would just practice it till one night. It was like 11 p.m. And it's just me and my dad in the kitchen. And I'm so like delusional. I'm laying on the kitchen floor trying to roll my R's. And I finally 
got it and it was like the best feeling in the world like wow you know like putting the time in i actually accomplished this and it was like a really cool feeling and that's freaking awesome by the way that like that, as, as as minuscule and as ridiculous as something like rolling <laughs> your r seems there's something to be said for just keep on hacking away at it just keep yeah. hacking away right just chop the wood until it's gone that's it and i got like obsessed with trying like just whatever it was and when I, I think the one thing that really sparked the wrestling too was in that last match i was doing okay and i ended up getting pinned and i was like you know you kind of have this happens to almost everyone when they and it kind of weeds out people because everyone after they lose a match they'll be like oh, i want to get better and it's kind of that split moment where kids will have a, a drive but then it'll kind of wean away in like you know a couple weeks or so like they'll just forget about it me i was like i have to get better at this like to the which point by the way if i remember correctly your dad almost insisted that that was going to happen to you that he that you would not lose interest but certainly lose motivation you would, that the sting of that last loss would go away and you'd just go back to skateboarding and to park cars one thousand percent and he even says it like Oh, he just, you know, he's bummed about the loss and whatever. Um, so I used to bother him. I'd be like, Dad, like, I need a wrestling club because that's what people told me you needed to get better. And I was like, I need a wrestling club. He's like, all right, Ann, I'm, I'm looking. And, like, a couple weeks later, I'm like, Dad, did you find a club yet? And he's like, holy shit, you were – like, my cousin Vinny, you were serious about that, you know? And, like, uh, I was just, like, begging him. And then he, he emailed you, and he said, you know, my son's – 160 pounds finish up seventh grade season he's blind uh oh you see one other thing he's blind your, your response was like that's awesome yeah and that was like dude you accepting me in that moment was huge because just so I, we're clear i didn't mean that it was awesome that you were blind i, I know meant, what you meant <laughs> right but it like just just for clarity's sake okay i know you know but like it has to be said it's not like i was like that's the coolest no i i just meant that i i would i would invite the the challenge of like oh yeah this dude is is different in in certain ways and that was really exciting to me so absolutely and i'm proceed. so young i'm so young it, it seems almost normal too though like i didn't realize how much of a unique situation it was at the time and I started going to Rhino at Velocity and Wall. And I remember the first practice, like, Gunther was there. Mm -hmm. And we were training. He was, like, showing me stuff. And I never – I had never worked that hard in my life. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember leaving practice covered in sweat, like, tired. My arms hurt. And I fell in love with it, like, that day. Like, I was like, this is the best. Like, I'm beat up. I'm tired. Like – I feel like I just worked my ass off and I started falling in love with that. And we started developing a system where like you would show the moves on me. So mm -hmm. I'd be able to feel what's going on and then I'd be able to go and drill. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it was a journey, man. Like I got obsessed. I started going to a tournament every single weekend with my dad. And this was the worst part is I would be like, you know, I'm, I'm going to a club. I'm going to win this tournament, whatever. It took me three months before I could even score a point in yeah. a tournament because my bracket was always three state 
caliber kids every time. It was I'll never forget Kenny uh Kenny Bradley, um this guy uh Bal Balboni, and then uh there was one other this guy Connor Watson. And I remember going and just getting my ass kicked and then finally like you know leaving the beach when my friends are chilling to go to Rhino and all this stuff. And I remember like the first time I beat Connor Watson and you were there and it was in Greco and I teched him both periods or something. And I'd never scored on that kid before. And like something mm -hmm. changed where I just felt this confidence and like just becoming obsessed with the sport. And I don't know why even I was just like, I love this. And then in eighth grade, I ended up going like undefeated in my weight class and winning tri County. And when that happened, I was losing 13, nothing in the finals. I'm on my feet. My dad's, you know, yelling, don't give up, blah, blah, blah. And I end up throwing the kid with a lat drop that I learned in Greco mm -hmm. and winning that match and being like, you know, I wasn't even that excited. I was more like, holy shit, I can't believe I pulled that off. <laughs> and when I walked off the mat, the kid shook my hand, no problem. The dad, this is the first time I ever experienced this. And then it got worse as time went on. But the dad came over and he's like, because in wrestling, I had to stay in constant contact. The dad was like, this is an unfair advantage. Your son doesn't belong in this sport. He belongs in the Special Olympics. Like, tell him to find something else, all this stuff. And it was like, dude, I remember being like, how is this possible? I just worked my ass off to get to where I'm at. And you're trying to take it all away. And at the same time, I go home and find out that I was supposed to be accepted to a private school that both my brothers went to. I had a handwritten letter of acceptance in seventh grade. They're getting everything brailed. And then in eighth grade, that president died. And I got a letter and a phone call saying Anthony's no longer accepted this school. He won't, you know, fit in academically or environmentally. And I'm like 14 years old, man. I remember like punching a hole through my wall. I was so angry. Like that was a lot of my childhood it was like a lot of anger at the world, at like unfairness and just pissed off at being blind. And I feel like wrestling, especially at that time, was like a therapy, like a saving grace, like a safe space where I'd go to the club and I'd feel like, you know, it was like a home and it was somewhere where I can get out my aggression and really like, you know, feel better at the end of the day. Um, okay. I'm going to stop you there. Um, people, you're, you're kind of glossing over the way that those types of things like that dad telling you that you should you should try a different sport or you should be in you know special olympics or whatever you're glossing over the way that that made you feel and you're also glossing over your reaction to it because here's here's the truth of it right you had a really good support system around you um you know your your, your parents your brother um so you had a great support system around you. How did you, as a 14-year-old eighth grader, for the first time, hearing what people don't usually get hate, right? Like, like they don't get haters until they're old enough to be have a million followers on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. Right. So like so they don't get like they don't get that hate until lo like a lot later in life usually i would assume 
So how did you, as a 14-year-old knucklehead that didn't know shit about shit, how did you deal with that type of scenario and how did you come out the other uh, other side of it yeah man i i would say borderline broke me like mentally um it was like demoralizing like i didn't even understand it at, like because i was so young like you said i don't know anything about anything but i'm like my mindset is i'm just trying to be one of the kids i'm trying to fit in i'm trying to have like a so-called normal life and i felt like people were always trying to take stuff away from me that i actually wasn't as good as i was because people were always saying these types of things it really pissed me off and like because i have good hearing i would hear coaches say stuff during my matches and i let it really affect me and especially in the beginning and towards the end even and it it caused me to have this like chip on my shoulder that I didn't even realize until looking back at the documentary that mm -hmm. I was, I just felt constant pressure to like prove myself, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was heavy. Like it was a lot. And it caused me a lot of like emotional roller coasters because mm -hmm. picture a kid not so great at the sport trains gets good at the sport no one's gonna say like oh that's a fluke or you're just lucky like he worked his ass off mm -hmm. but for me it was like you add blindness into the mix you already feel behind and like you have to prove yourself to people to show them you're not just some like you know pushover or whatever it is and i felt like that really affected my emotions mentally like bad like of course how could it not but here's the question you didn't let it affect your training and you didn't let it affect your motivation in the sport and it didn't you didn't let it affect your discipline so how do you as a you know a, a dopey kid right because it's not that you were particularly dopey but just all kids are dopey right yeah. 14 the kids are just knuckleheads <laughs> right and, and so how did you as a dopey kid turn that that pain because it's awfully painful i saw it in you man i i felt one percent of it because i wanted to go bite those people's noses off their face and spit it back in their mouth and that was one percent of it like think about that i mean and, and for me to you know i want to kill these people when they said that stuff yeah to you. And, and um how did you as a young kid make your bones with that and then continue to stay focused on training it's a good question. I I really think I think because of just how I am, like giving up is never an option. I always talk about it like I could I like I could have just given up when the school wouldn't accept me because of my blindness. Like there were so many things and like people saying like you don't belong in this sport. But I truly believed like the training, I I'll be straight up, I hate competing. Competing is the worst thing in the world. I was a head case. Like I was I was a lot better than people that I would make better than me in my head. Mm -hmm. Like I I was in a wrestling room, I could beat anyone because I was comfortable. I was, you know, it was my what I was used to. And then when I would go out 
and compete, I would think about all these things and like how I have this whole other weight on my shoulders of hoping the referee like understands what's going on even and that there's no like political BS. I think training was what got Which, me. Which, by the way, was a real thing. Yeah. That, that, the, the officials, <clears throat> there were ones that would not blow the whistle. It was bad. It got dangerous. Yeah. He was, catching, he was catching double eggs with his face way more than he needed to. Like, <laughs> yeah. way more than he needed to. And we and developed like, the system to make me confident against that, though, where I stay low and, and be ready mm -hmm. for that. But why should I, you know, why does that have to be a thing? It's not it's not good. especially the higher level you get the more contact you need one of the things you talked about was uh you were able to stay real motivated after a loss and wanted to continue to build where you know you you had friends or you know lots of people generally they'll you know they'll they'll lose interest they'll you know they'll be motivated after they lose but then a couple of days later they're you know off doing whatever how do you think that you continued to to stay motivated and to to build and, and maintain that drive, you know, over long periods of time. I know a lot of people say this, but I can truly mean it. Like wrestling definitely saved my life. I think, I think I would have gone down a really shitty path, but also I don't know, like I'm sure I would have found something, but there were so many things around me that were not, good especially growing up in like a small beach town there's a lot of like you know drugs or unmotivated kids and stuff and i always felt out of place around everyone like i always felt different and wrestling was like almost like an identity to me at the point at that time because when i left high school i didn't know what the hell i was going to do with my life and I'm like a really motivated person. Like I said earlier, like when there's a mountain to climb, like I'm, I'm obsessed with trying to achieve that goal. And it's, it's a blessing and a curse because I've learned later in life too, that you really need to, you have these big goals, but you have to have these little goals along the way to like have little wins. And that's been really successful for like, you know, the things we're doing now or whatever it might be. Cause like the, the main goal is really overwhelming and to have like little, you know, stepping stones along the way is huge Just to stay motivated. I just, I was around the right people. Like I really bought into, if I find a, a leader that, that really I can trust, like Mike was the type of person when I started having a relationship with him as a coach and you know, his student, I like, Mike could tell me to jump, and I wouldn't even ask how high. I'd just jump as high as I fucking could. Yeah. And that – I really bought into the – the club was a saving grace to me because we had CrossFit. Like, we were doing the CrossFit workouts. Like, there was so much stuff that was giving me confidence. Like, the first time I did a 24-hour lock-in at the club, I literally felt like I could do anything in the world. And I still think about that. Like, to this day, when I have to do something, you know, somewhat hard, I'm like – Dude, I was locked in a wrestling club for a day and worked out every hour. And it's little things like that. For those of you that don't know, we <laughs> I had this awful idea. Uh, I guess it was probably about 15 years ago was the first one, something like that. Maybe it was 2009. Um, right? Like yeah, 2009, it was. 2010. 2009 was like freshman in high school. Yeah. 
So somewhere around there, I had this bright idea. And the, the way that I got it was Joe DeSena from Spartan used to run uh, the death race, which I think he still does. He, he found his way back to that stuff. But before it was Spartan and all that kind of stuff, they had this death race. And I did it, and it was the most miserable friggin' experience in my life. And so I, I – but it broke me. It broke me mentally completely for sure. And I asked the guy that that – that won the race. I'm like, yo, how did you train for this? He's like, oh, well, I, I would get up every hour on the hour and run a mile for 48 hours straight. And I'm like, well, that sounds awesome. And, and so, um, I said, well, maybe we could do that. Something like that in wrestling. We can't wrestle a match for 24 hours straight. Yeah. Um, because somebody would die. Um, but we, we kind of, supplemented matches sometimes with full body workouts like i don't know 100 burpees or 40 burpees or something like that and so we would do a 7 to 15 minute workout at the top of every hour for 24 hours straight and i started doing this stuff and i was like holy smokes it caught on it caught on really like a a lot of people i was doing them all over the country it was Joel, it was taking years off my life. Oh, I can imagine. Dude, you mean was... getting up every hour and not getting a solid sleep at any point during a day? Dude, is... Mike woke me up at 3 a.m. and he's like, I'm I'm sleeping against the wall. And he wakes me up at 3 a.m. And he's like, all you have to do is 50 pull-ups. I slept, walk over to the pull-up bar and did 50 in a clip. I've never done it before, never done it since. And I just went back to sleep. Right and he now. literally walked back to the exact same spot, <laughs> which I- – First of all, like there's so many different things that like have made me scratch my head about Anthony <laughs> Ferraro, but that, and first of all, he didn't just do them on a bar. He did them on like a Ninja warrior ledge. Okay. <laughs> like he just cranked out 50 absolutely perfect strict pull-ups and goes and sits down and just literally just kind of nods his head off to the side and he's out like a light. It was wow. I'm like, how did you know what spot you were just in and that there was no one in it in your stead? And like, there was just so many different questions that I had, but I'm like, oh, I'm going to let the kids sleep because he did his good <laughs> Well, they were, they're screwed because I just make a map of when I get up to where I'm going and then I know how to get back. Every time in my life now, even like everywhere I go, I always map out where I'm going so I can get back. Okay. I, I'm going to add to that. Listen to this, Joel. And I know this is becoming like the... You know, we're just kind of flowing back and forth between me and Ann. But I do want you to know this because it's like super cool to me. You know, Anthony said earlier that he could he has really good hearing. That is the understatement of the century. The dude has full on superpowers. So the first he like he said, when Ant started coming to the, the club and wall, we moved to a new place up in Morganville, which is like 20 minutes up the road, right? That day, the the first day of practice, he called me at like, I want to say like noon or something like that. And he's like, well, what time is practice? I said, well, your class starts at 730. He goes, can I get there at like four? I'm like, yeah, sure, man. I don't care. I'll be here. I was just cleaning up the place, just getting this place ready for the first classes. I didn't think anything of it, but I literally just, I'm cleaning up and he walks in. I'm like, hey, and he's like, hey, how you doing? And he just continuously walked around the place with a cane <laughs> for, I don't know, two hours, maybe an hour and a half, two hours. 
Um, but then when I said at 729, all right, everybody up and jog, he was the first one up and jogging, and he wasn't tripping over anything. And I'm like, oh, this dude was mapping the place. Yeah. All right. So and now another time, I'll n- never forget this. And I, I like Ann said, we we would do strength training workouts before class, right? So we're there's weights clanging, there's music blaring, there's probably 30 people in the room. And in and by the way, garage doors are open. So yeah. it's like a full, like it's in the summertime. It was like it was 175 degrees in there. <laughs> and this kid, uh, an arbitrary kid, his name is Pete Ottaviano. Okay. <sighs> Pete Ottaviano walks in and he goes, Hey, what's going on, guys? Anthony doesn't turn and just goes, What's up, Pete? And every one of us stopped. And we're like, that's bullshit, bro. How'd you know it was Pete? That's bullshit. How did you know it was Pete? He goes, well, he smells like Pete. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, How did that's some X Men shit? You can't just be like, oh, it smells like bro, Pete. You say, have smells, man. Yeah, I guess. Okay, but like, none of us are like an X Men in that regard. <laughs> so, all right. So. If you were to tell, what do you call people that have all their sight? <laughs> Able body. Yeah. Or, or sighties. Sighties, right. Yeah. I, that's the one I was getting. Yeah, you know sighties. I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. what I called you. <laughs> yeah. You fucking sighties. All right. Yeah, all right. We get it. Sorry. But what would you tell someone with all of their faculties about them? How to enhance other forms of of their senses because it's pretty impressive like you you know we talk about feel in the sport a lot and you exemplified it thanks to you man we worked out a we had a system down to where you had me feeling when people would tense up before they change their level and i'd be able to predict that and that Mm -hmm. stuff like went leaps and bounds and because i started late in the sport too so it's like you know, relatively, because everyone starts when they can start walking, basically. And I started in seventh grade kind of behind. And what I would tell them is I wasn't born with that. Like, I wasn't born with super, like, sonic hearing or smell or whatever. But all you sighties take your other senses for granted because your sight's so good that you don't hone – like, you rely on your sight for 98% of the things you do – and I have to rely on everything else to fill in for my lack of sight. So it's basically just like anything else, like wrestling, for example, you, you only get better by doing it. So I just would rely on my ears and my smell and my touch so much. Like I didn't use a cane for the first half of my life. One, cause I was an idiot. And two, because <laughs> I just was against it. And I would use like my feet. Like I walked around barefoot all the time because it would I'd be able to feel things better and I'd have all these little things I was doing to try and make myself not look blind that you know the normal sight person wouldn't even notice because I it's just the littlest things that make a difference. Hmm. What are some ways? Uh, yeah, I, I you know I run a wrestling club. I work at a wrestling club as well. Um, and I'm curious, you know, when you have kids who might be a little bit different or may have some sort of disability, uh, how do you, how do you, what is the 
most appropriate way to treat them? Is it something where you just try and treat them like everybody else? Are you like, is it something where you kind of cater to them? What exactly do you think is, is kind of the, the best way to, to go about doing that? Definitely treating them like everyone else, but maybe understanding that they, some things might be harder for them. So just having extra patience in certain areas, but I'm the worst person to ask this question to because I'm the most like unpolitically correct blind person. Like I, I want to be treated just like everyone else and make fun of me. So I like, it's like an icebreaker even like, I don't care, you know, like it all depends on the relationship. Like as you get a better relationship with them, you start to understand like how they are. So I think mm -hmm. that's big too. Um, it's just like, I'm a very there wasn't a disability that was safe in our in our club. Like no, no. there wasn't one. Like no. Like we would like if a kid was slow, like forget it. Like you were stone foot, you, <laughs> yeah. were, you know, yeah, like no, you like everyone there wasn't it. like and Paul couldn't hear where shit. And yeah, I was we, like, I'm I'm like fucking Ellis Island over here. I'll I give me your poor, your blind, Paul, your Helen, deaf. I, Paul was Helen and I was Keller. <laughs> I didn't say that. That's not. True. I did. I, never do I did. That was okay, fine. Good. good. <laughs> but so, yeah, I, like I, I don't know, man. I... You said the most powerful thing to me, and I, I'm sorry if this comes across mean to the listeners, but when you said to me, I'll never forget. I think I was in like probably a freshman or sophomore in high school, and we we're sitting. I'll never forget. We we're sitting against the wall in Morganville, and we were just having a talk. And you were like, I was getting annoyed about something. And you were like, listen, Ant, you're blind. That's not changing anytime soon. And the rest of the world isn't blind. So you need to buck the fuck up, more or less. <laughs> and it was like, it sounds mean, but it was the realest thing anyone ever said to me. And I, I remember walking away from that, like, empowered, like, you know what? I am fucking blind. I guess I got to figure this shit out. Like, stop stop worrying about the fact that, you know, why am I blind? Like, you're blind. That's just how it is. So figure it out. And that really, like, changed my life in a lot of ways. Well, I'm glad that my over-exuberance and, uh, <laughs> could have played a part in that. Um, we got a little bit of time left. Uh, can we Can we talk about... Whatever Some of the want. things that happened after high school. Yeah. Um, so after high school, I graduated in 2013. I went to TCMJ for like a year and a half. Got a concussion wrestling and then stopped wrestling. And once I stopped wrestling, I was like, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing here. I don't. All I knew was wrestling. I used to wake up wrestle, go to school, wrestle, and not get home till like, 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, it kind of lost. I ended up getting super depressed, like, really depressed. Um, it's kind of that age, like, 19 years old, where things, you know, you're trying to figure out life, what you're trying to do your whole life. And I got really, um, just really down and, and, like, making excuses and just, smoking copious amounts of pot like not not being good in like productive ways and i actually got to the point where like my parents were trying to help me i was having all these breakdowns 
and it got to the point where I checked myself into a mental hospital. Like I 18, 19 years old, I checked myself in. I was like, I'm nothing good is happening right now. I don't feel good about myself. I'm so depressed to the point where it's scary. And like I you know, I'm not like gonna kill myself, but like you, you know, that thought creeps across your mind. You're like, whoa, something's not okay here, you know, like I need to talk to someone. And might have been extreme what I did checking myself in, but it was like a real big blessing at the time because I got to go. I went to this place for like four days, and I uh, I got like help. Like I got to talk to people, and I got, I went to like an outpatient program after, and then I like started, you know, being like, all right, Aunt, like enough is enough. Stop being a bitch. Like stop babying about everything and and saying woe is me type of thing. And I made the sporadic decision to move to California where my buddies were in Northern California, grew pot for like a year and a half, and nothing was happening out of that period of my life. I wasn't growing. I was like, the only thing I was growing was pot. Like I wasn't growing. <laughs> and I felt like at a, a stagnant, like standstill, you know, like I need to be doing more. Like there are people like, why are you here? Like you... I feel like you belong doing way more than this. And like my buddy even used to joke, he's like, dude, you belong like training for the Olympics or something. And then I get a call in California one morning that, so Chris, they, they made the documentary, my brother and Chris, uh, Chris, after two years of it being on the shelf, Chris takes it down and he's like, I got to put something together. He puts together the first 15 minutes and loves what he has. Like, he's like, this is a great story. I can't wait to show Ollie, my brother. And the two days before they were supposed to meet for Ollie to see the first 15 minutes of the film, he didn't wake up at the age of 27 and passed away in his sleep. And I get a phone call in California, you know, that my brother died. And it was like, it was the world just stopped. Like I was hanging in outer space. Like how the fuck is this real right now? Like this shouldn't happen. Nothing, nothing was pointing towards this direction type of thing either. And I remember I just had to like suck it up. I didn't want to go home. I was so scared to go home to the point where my brother, John flew out and dragged me home. And I went home and at Ollie's funeral, Chris like vowed that no matter what it takes, he's going to finish the film. And he did that. And then the trailer went kind of viral across all these platforms. And I'm sitting at home. I'm feeling sorry for myself. My mom also just had a traumatic brain injury where I was the one to find her like months after my brother passed away. And like all these things were happening in life. And I'm feeling sorry for myself again. And I'm like seeing all this stuff with the film. and like, oh, I want to train more. Like I want to get after something. Like I feel so like lost and like at a pause or plateaued and i get a phone call and they're like this is the united states olympic committee uh is this is anthony ferraro and i'm like i think you have the wrong number and they're like no uh we actually saw your documentary if you have any of that talent left from wrestling that's how they worded it would you consider training judo for the paralympics and i was like i literally said let me call you right back and I picked up my phone. I didn't call my mom, my dad, no one. I called Mike Melanconico. And I was like, hey, I just got a call from like the United States Olympic Committee about doing judo for the Paralympics. He's like, why are you still on the phone with me? He's like, tell them, yeah. And I did. I, from that point on, I trained judo. 
took like three years of training really hard going to like Japan, Brazil, uh, Germany, England, all these places, like self-funded, getting myself to all these places and learning a whole new sport to where in three years I got like became first in the country and I was like top 20 in the world. And uh, before the Olympics, like a couple tournaments before I was really close to making it, I tore my groin two days before a tournament. And I was out for like a year, so I couldn't do anything anymore. And I was like, well, I need to like figure something out. Like, you know, judo's not going to be here all the time. What the hell am I doing? I'm putting all my eggs in this basket and like without any other avenues in my life, you know? And the pandemic was happening. I was with my uh, girlfriend, now wife at the time, or yeah, now wife at the time, she's my girlfriend. And I, I was like, I need to do something. Like, I gotta figure this out. And like, everything was paused, the world was shut down. I started playing my guitar a lot more and like live streaming it on Facebook to people. And I was like, uh, you know, live streaming to the world, whatever. Like, it would make people smile for that time. And then I, we decided like we got to do something more with this. We took it on the road and we went 10,000 miles across the country in seven weeks and set up in all these remote locations and live streams the world, me playing music. We branded the whole tour and all this stuff. We've done like two of them now. And when we got home, when I say live streaming to the world, I mean like three people on Facebook <laughs> and, and uh, we got home and we're like, uh, you know we did it though we just went ten thousand miles like it was scary we had no idea how it was going to go there's a lot of stuff that happened but we made it and we did it we made a plan executed it and i was like i feel like there's more people like you know i feel like i have a story to share with people that could help if it helps one other person it's like a win and, and since i was a little kid i always said i just wanted to help people and that's when she was like i was like i want to reach more people online and all this stuff and she's like you should do a dance on TikTok with your cane. Like maybe you'll go viral. And I was like, fuck no. Like I'm not doing that. Get away from me. And I started researching a little, seeing that like people were doing like vlog stuff, showing about their lives. So I said, why don't I just introduce myself? And I did. I was like, I'm Anthony. I look normal, right? There's one thing different. I'm blind. And then I started going through the things I do, like motivational speaking, podcasting, music, all that stuff. And I went to sleep with like 10 followers and 100 views. And then I woke up with like that, like, you know, tens of thousands of views and like a couple thousand followers and all these messages of people being like, you know, please like tell us more. Like, how do you do this? How do you do that? Like you are really helping me in my life, like not make excuses because I say the only disability is a bad attitude. And then it's like it just we made a 30 day plan to keep posting and telling, you know, the story about me and different things. And it just kept blowing up like wildfire, like videos going viral, like millions of views. And, you know, it transformed to other platforms like Instagram and YouTube and all this stuff. And then I used to cry about to my dad in college, like, how am I ever going to have a family? No one's ever going to love me. I'm never going to be able to support anyone. Because when I was in high school, I had a girlfriend and her parents made her break up with me because they're like, he's blind. He's never going to be able to drive you anywhere. He's never going to be able to take care of you. And that really affected my self-esteem with that stuff. And then, you know, fast forward now, I'm getting brand deals. I'm getting more speaking jobs. I'm starting to make money. You know, my wife is able to work less. And we got married. And, like, now we're having a kid. And 
less than a month. So it's it's like wild how life just works. You know, you're like so scared of everything in the beginning. How is it ever going to happen? It only happens by doing it like one foot in front of the other and just, you know, what it, like, I like to say. Make sure like, that cane goes in front of those two feet, though. <laughs> cane in front. But yeah, that's, thing, that's what happened. One of the things you, you mentioned was how how central being a wrestler was to your identity, um, you know, when you were a little bit younger. And once that was taken away, you felt a bit lost. I think this is kind of a common thing with lots of high-level athletes. What do you think are, are kind of some strategies to help find balance there? Is it something where you need to dive in there or or something where you can kind of be multiple things at once? I like am a firm believer now. I used to think you could only do that, but I'm a firm believer now of like, dude, diversify your like portfolio, like do as many things as you can and see what works. Cause you, you could be chasing the dragon your whole life and never get there. And you missed out on so many other opportunities. So I think it's important to take things as they come too, and not just be one track minded. And, you know, it's hard because at high levels, they tell you you can only do this. You have to do this twenty four seven. But I think it's starting to change a little now. Where I agree, it's more healthy to take those breaks, like mental breaks, and you know, really, like you have to have fun in life too. Like it can't be a grind twenty four seven, or you're gonna hate it. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's tough, right? Because like, you know, we did this. Uh, while I was still at Flow, we did this. Uh, this documentary on, I guess it was kind of on addiction, mm-hmm. but, it, but really what I wanted it to be about was like addiction and wrestling. And it was more about like Gregor Gillespie and his story. But then there were some side stories that, man, we, we had three people very close to the club all die within like a, like a one week period of time back in 2017 i think i believe it was but you you get enough of these kids that that fall into addiction fall into depression fall into all these things and you and you look at what the common denominator is and i think wrestling is is a through line there for many of them and i think what joel said earlier like these people aren't equipped when that one thing that they have centralized their life around is taken away from them because inevitably wrestling is going to, unless you're a dope like me and just take a vow of poverty for your whole <laughs> life and just decide you're that like a nun in wrestling, oh, that's the worst idea ever. Like, I go back. Like I, I think about like, I, I had the aha moment in wrestling when I was like 17 and I was like looking around Ernie Monaco's room at the edge going, well, I know how much I pay. And I can just assume how much that like the rest of the people in this room pay. Yeah. And I like and I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. And then, but I was only taking headcount at one particular time in the year, yeah. not the rest. So anyway, but the point is though that like most people, it's going to end. And what do you do, Aunt? What do you do when that identity is ripped from you? How do you build yourself back? Well, you make a good point. Like hearing you talk about this too kind of sparks a thought of wrestling is your addiction. Yeah. And you're addicted to it. Like that's your drug. Like because mm-hmm. it's all you know. 
it's all you do it's your identity you know you're constantly looking for your next fix like you know learning new stuff or or getting another medal or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and when it ends like many addicts do you have to fill that void with another addiction and that's what ends up happening not saying that's the right thing to do but it's but it's inevitable it's inevitable because you you didn't have anything else that was giving meaning or fuel to your life like to your journey and i think you know when you leave wrestling it's kind of like starting over like from scratch which is scary because you know what you're gonna either coach or you kind of got to walk away from it at a certain point and i think it's so important like i said like just to try new things like to have fun and to, to if you asked me 10 years ago would i ever be you know so-called internet famous or whatever the hell you want to call it i'd tell you to go after yourself yeah. uh, i remember you trying to tell me about twitter when i was in like freshman in high school and i was like sounds stupid and if i listened off. to you it would have been really helpful but everything happens at the right time in life i believe and um i just think it's important for people you got to talk to people too that's the most important you got to talk to people that have been through it because whatever you're doing in life nine times out of ten there's someone that's gone through it before you so i think finding someone that you could look up to and you know have that voice of reason to you to help you think about things in a different way is huge Makes sense to me. All right, and we got to wrap this up. Tell yep. us where everyone can see Anthony Ferraro. Oh, even though, even though he can't see them. <laughs> um, yeah. Joel Shaw, don't you put your hand in your face, Joel Shaw. That yeah, was that freaking was, good. That was, that was freaking wild. good. That was a little hacky. Um, <laughs> you're, a hack, you're a hack comedian. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find me at everything's on asfvision.com. Uh, and the films a shot in the dark on Amazon Prime and Hulu and or not yeah Hulu and Vimeo and uh Apple playing or Apple TV Google Play. So yeah. Thanks a lot, man. It's great talking to you guys. Anthony. Love you, brother. Talk to you very soon, brother. I yep. love you very much. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for everything. Later, Joel. Yeah.